Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. It is Tuesday, June 28th, and this is People Every Day. Hello again, my favorite listeners. It's me, Janine Rubenstein. We've got another great show for you today, including an interview with Rain Pryor, director, actress, and daughter of legendary comedian Richard Pryor. She joins us to talk about an upcoming documentary featuring her comedy legend father and discuss how comedy has changed through the years. But first, let's start with what's been buzzing around out there in the news. We have to begin with the incredibly sad story coming out of San Antonio, Texas. Yesterday, 46 men and women were found dead in an 18-wheeler in southwest San Antonio. The group are believed to be undocumented migrants who were seeking refuge in the United States. Additionally, 12 adults and four children were rushed to nearby hospitals for heat-related illnesses. Temperatures in the region scorched to 103 degrees and led to the migrants suffering heat exhaustion in the poorly ventilated trailer. The San Antonio fire chief stated that there were, quote, no signs of water in the vehicle and commented further on the horrific scene, saying, We're not supposed to open up a truck and see stacks of bodies in there. None of us come to work imagining that. Ugh. Emergency crews came to the scene of the abandoned trailer after an employee who worked at a nearby building heard a cry for help and came out to investigate. Upon approaching the truck, he saw the door was partially open and soon found the 46 dead individuals inside. Homeland Security Investigations San Antonio confirmed to people the agency is on the scene. The agency will lead a federal investigation into the smuggling that led to the deaths of these migrants. What an absolutely... Is heartbreaking story, and we will keep you all updated as more develops. In a story that broke just a few hours ago, Ghislaine Maxwell, accomplice to Jeffrey Epstein, was sentenced earlier today to 20 years in federal prison for her role in sex trafficking young girls. In addition to the prison sentence, Maxwell received a $750,000 fine. After listening to numerous victims who gave impact statements, Maxwell said this, To you, all the victims... I am sorry for the pain that you experienced. It is my sincerest wish to all those in this courtroom and to all those outside this courtroom that this day brings a terrible chapter to an end. And to those of you who spoke here today and those of you who did not, may this day help you travel from darkness into the light. Well, one of the more powerful statements read today during the sentencing came from the attorney of Virginia Giuffre, a survivor who reached an out-of-court settlement in her sexual assault case against Prince Andrew earlier this year. The statement read in part, I want to be clear about one thing. Without question, Jeffrey Epstein was a terrible pedophile. But I never would have met Jeffrey Epstein if not for you. Ghislaine, you deserve to spend the rest of your life in a jail cell. You deserve to be trapped in a cage forever, just like you trapped your victims. Hmm. I'll say this. Multiple victims voiced that they felt justice wasn't served when Jeffrey Epstein died by suicide in his prison cell before standing trial. I just hope today's sentencing brings some peace to the victims and their families. 
And now, moving on, WNBA star Brittany Griner is still being detained in Russia with her trial looming. We have to dive into this bizarre and, frankly, scary story. There is an update in the Brittany Griner story. Back in February, the WNBA player and two-time Olympic gold medalist was arrested inside a Russian airport after officials allegedly found vape cartridges containing hash oil, an illegal substance in the country, inside her luggage. Family, friends, and fans have complained about not being able to see or get word from her or about her safety and whereabouts. And now more than four months later, new images have surfaced and Brittany is set to stand trial in court beginning on Friday. If she's convicted, she'll face up to 10 years in prison. Joining me now to break down everything we know is ESPN correspondent and former liberal political commentator, Angela Rye. Hey, Angela, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Janine. It's a real pleasure to be here. Well, let's start by talking about this trial. Uh, Brittany's lawyer told the New York Times that she will stand trial in Russian court beginning July 1st and remain in custody until hearings are complete. So what else is happening here and, and what should we expect? Well, I think what's really important for the American people to understand is that the Russian's justice system is very different than ours. This is a justice system that has a very, very high conviction rate. And so I would even go so far as to say that once someone is arrested, you can pretty much guarantee that there will be a conviction and they will be sentenced. We know that Trevor Reed was brought back home on April 28th. And on that day, Brittany Griner's status was changed from detained to wrongfully detained in Russia. Well, in order for her to be brought back home, we actually need her to be sentenced. She doesn't necessarily have to withstand this trial. There could be calls made from the Biden administration, from the State Department saying, hey, we want to understand how what the sentence is going to be for the alleged crimes that you're saying that she committed. And Angela, I have to ask you, do we know anything about how Brittany is doing? What I can tell you, and I hope that I don't get in trouble with Sherelle for saying this, we had this really remarkable, oh, I got emotional, opportunity to have video from Brittany in the interview with Sherelle that she shared. I've never met her, but it is just contagious. This bright light about her that just connects. Like she is warm and she's so positive in these videos. And then you see her, you know, wearing this Black Lives Matter hoodie in the Russian airport the day that she's detained. And the next time that we encounter Brittany, her head is hung low and we don't even see her face, right? And then the next time we see Brittany, these pictures this week, she looks shocked. The U.S. government has even said she's okay given the circumstances. The circumstances are that even on her anniversary call, she could not speak to her spouse. She's not heard the voice of her spouse in months. She's not able to connect with her loved ones, with her friends. She can't be okay. And so even if she's looking healthy and she's eating all right, mentally, she's got to be taking this hard. Ugh, this is all so devastating, of course, for Brittany, but for yeah. everyone who loves her back here in the U.S. as well. There are people fighting to bring Brittany home, yes. namely Brittany's wife, Sherelle Griner, who has been outspoken about just wanting this nightmare to end and wanting her wife to come home. So who else is speaking out? 
First, I just want to give so much credit to Brittany Griner's agent, Lindsay Colas, Karen Finney, who is a former State Department spokesperson and advisor. Karen worked with Lindsay just last week and got over 40 organizations, nonprofits to sign on to a letter urging the Biden administration to do whatever they can to get Brittany back home. We know it's been over 130 days now. It's time for Brittany to come back home. Also, uninterrupted work together to pull these shirts together. We are BG shirts. I'm sure many of you all saw the Celtics wearing them during the finals. Of course, the WNBA. Oh, my gosh. They opened their season on May 6th. During the May 6th opening, all the teams had on their home courts BG42, which, of course, is Brittany Griner's number. And I think that it's time for the American public to rise up in defense of Britney. Well, even though there are people, you know, putting out rallying cries to bring Britney home, it would be very remiss of us not to point out that as horrible as this story is, it's not getting enough attention. Why do you think that is? And what can be done to shed more light on this story? People were initially asked by the United States government to keep quiet about Brittany Griner, to not speak about it in the press, to not draw too much attention to this particular case so they could get her home. But what we know is that if Tom Brady were detained in Russia, no media outlet would have listened to the cries to be quiet. And so what we have to wrestle with, and I'm saying we because I was quiet too, What we have to wrestle with is why we were comfortable being quiet in that instance. And I think that our truth has to be that this story doesn't have the same economic impact because even though she is a WNBA all-star champion, a champion for her team in Russia, an Olympic gold medalist, the fact is that the economic impact isn't as severe because she's not paid the same in endorsements, in her league salary, none of the above. And we also know that the money may not be the same when we cover women's sports. We know that too often media do things for the soundbite, for the clicks. Like if it was a LeBron story, people like, this is going to be a boom for us because we're going to be able to get sponsors on this post. The clicks are going to be amazing. We're going to, the algorithm is going to be great on YouTube, right? Whatever we're saying, we are the only ones who can change that dynamic. Wow. We will continue to follow this very important story and keep you all updated on the latest developments. Angela, thank you so much for your work on this and for stopping by to talk about it with me. Janine, thank you for covering this. Coming up, we sit down with actress and director Rain Pryor to talk about her father, Richard Pryor's prolific career, and touch on how comedy has shifted from her father's time on stage to today's cancel culture era. But first, there's a new documentary out about musical artist Machine Gun Kelly. Viewers and fans learn about Kelly's struggles with addiction and mental health. Right after the break, we get into the harrowing details of this doc with our own Breanne Tracy. We'll be right back. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. 
Got your happy price, price line. Colson Baker, or Machine Gun Kelly, as he is known to the world, has a new and very personal documentary out on Hulu called Life in Pink. MGK has always been very honest with his fans and the press about his use of drugs, his mental health struggles, and his family life. But in this documentary, you really get to feel his pain. So here to talk with me today about this and everything we learned in this doc is People's Music staff writer, Brianne Tracy. Brianne, welcome back to the show. Hey, Janine. Thanks for having me again. Well, let's start by taking a listen to the moment when Machine Gun Kelly speaks about his suicide attempt. And I'm yelling on the phone and like the barrel's in my mouth. And I go to cock the shotgun and the bullet, as it comes back up, the shell just gets jammed. What do you think the impact that this moment can have on his fans and, you know, on the world right now, considering everything that's going on? It was really the turning point where he realized that he needed to become sober from hard drugs. And so I think that any of his fans that are also going through their own struggles might realize sooner that they're not alone and that they can turn things around because it was a really scary moment where he had put a shotgun in his mouth while on the phone with fiance Megan Fox. He was in a state of paranoia, thought that people were out to get him. And that's when he really realized that something wasn't right. Goodness. I mean, uh, did he talk about how he got out of that? And and what else can fans expect to see in this documentary about this moment and, and others? Well, we do get to see how he kind of threw himself into his work after this and really focused on keeping himself busy. And Megan's been such a bright light in his life that she's really been the sun for him, that he's grown and revolved around her. And they have such a great fairy tale and so much passion for each other. And then elsewhere in the doc, we also get to see his daughter, Casey, who um, he has a very special relationship with. She's only 12, but usually comes out on red carpets with him. And I also like seeing that his collaborator and friend, Travis Barker, talked to him about him and their music that they've produced together and how special it was for Travis. But then I thought it was really interesting just seeing where he grew up in Cleveland. He pointed out the deli where he shot his first music video. He actually said that he got a gun pulled on him at one of the houses with his daughter in the car. So we do get to see kind of some of those struggles from his rise to fame. Wow. I I love this quote here. He says, 90% of my fans listen to me because of the pain they relate to in my lyrics. And he Mm -hmm. is just putting a lot of that on display. Brianne, thank you so much for taking us through it. Thanks so much, Janine. And everyone listening, remember, if you or someone you know is considering suicide, please contact the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-TALK. That's 1-800-273-8255. Or text extension STRENGTH to the crisis text line at 741-741. My next guest, Rain Pryor, is a director and actor who knows a thing or two about the comedy world, given she's the daughter of legendary comedian Richard Pryor, who made people laugh till they cried and is credited with helping usher in the era of raunchy, no-holds-barred comedic style that we have come to know and love today. Well, 
She sat on a panel that I moderated at the Tribeca Film Festival that explored the impact Black comedy has had on American culture. And you guys, it was stirring. It was part of Annie's new two-part documentary, Right to Offend, The Black Comedy Revolution, that explores the rise of Black comedians and their influence on society as a whole. So, Rain is here with me now to give her take on her dad's legacy, the current state of comedy, and how it has evolved over the past decade. So, hi, Rain. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I remember we talked about on the panel that nothing like this has really been done to kind of bring it all together and show which comedian led to the next and the next. So what led you to get on board and and what messages does this celebrate? So being asked about Black comedy and its social relevance at the time and what that means for comics today to me was a chance to really celebrate who my dad was. I feel that the right to offend is is right on time, um, you know, because we are we are headed in a really strange, like a new and different counterculture, as opposed to when my dad was first starting out in his standup. I'm excited to see something like this that will give historical context and meaning to why my dad and Dick Gregory were saying and what they were trying to address in their content. Talk to me about that transition for your dad from being this huge comedian that everyone loved and, and, you know, across the board to that moment of reflection that he had to say like, wait, are are they laughing with me or are they laughing at me? So when dad started off in his comedy, it was in towards the end of the 60s, 70s, that he was hanging around the Black Panther Party. Huey P. Newton was a really good friend. Dick Gregory was a friend. And he had so much he wanted to say and stuff that he would say in coffee shops or hanging out with friends and family, but stuff that he wasn't yet saying on stage because at the time, the role model for that type of to be on television and to make movies was someone like a Bill Cosby. And so dad was totally into that, almost like that emulation of very calm, family-friendly-ish type of stand-up until he goes to Vegas after hanging out in Berkeley with the Black Panther Party and realizing, I need to say something. I need to be something. And people loved him for it because my dad had a way of speaking truth to power that made everyone listen. Black, white, brown, you listened. It became his own movement, and that is the thing that catapulted him to become, you know, the Richard Pryor, everyone knows and loves. Wow. It it was that moment for me in the documentary where you kind of see that through line. Dick Gregory left kind of at the height of his career and started to focus on what was you know, happening in the Black community. Richard Pryor did the same thing. And then you go forward and you think of Dave Chappelle, who walks away at the height of his career, the Chappelle show, number one show, and he just leaves and has to kind of grapple with himself as well. I think you need to as an entertainer because what entertainers deal with in Hollywood is you're always succumbing to something. You're always bowing to something. And so to be at a place where you've reached kind of like your peak at the moment— to then say, I need to take a step back to really self-reflect is huge, and especially for stand-up. What did all of this look like at home for you? 
I was taught my Black history. I had to read Malcolm X. And you needed to have discussion about them and understand. Like, we learned why, you know, Cassius Clay became Muhammad Ali. Like, these were the things that were taught in Mm -hmm. my household. When Dad went to Africa and realized there were no N-words, I hate that word, but, you know, and came back and decided not to use that in his vocabulary, it also was around the time he decided, okay, no more spankings, no more whippings, because he realized a connection for himself between that and slavery and didn't want to still put that kind of stuff on his children. What's your reaction to the Oscars and and cancel culture and and basically the silencing that comedians, uh, some of them say they feel like they're facing right now? I think many comedians are feeling like they're facing the silencing. We're in this weird time right now where everyone's on an extreme. One side is on extreme, the other side's on the—whatever side you're on, you're on probably on some extreme, and we're Mm. all trying to find a balance to get to the middle. I mean, I remember this started for me and why I even stopped doing stand-up myself was performing at a club, talking about growing up being Black and Jewish, and being heckled by a white audience member was very difficult for me. At the, at the time, which made me not want to do stand-up. When my dad was doing it, it was, you could say those things and nobody got really offended. They kind of either saw themselves and could reflect and then, you know, it became, they were inside on the joke mm-hmm. type of thing. Um, how I feel about the slap that everyone saw across the entire world that watched the Oscars, I feel devastated yeah. for Chris. And to me, it was less about comedy and more about an interpersonal relationship we will never know about because we don't live with them. But it became the focus of comedy because Chris Rock is who he is and that's who it happened to. Yeah, Chris is going to keep telling his jokes because he's funny and he's smart. (laughs) Comedy did not die. (laughs) Oh, my goodness, Rain. Thank you so, so much for taking the time to be here. And I just love hearing about your dad's story. So I really appreciate it. Well, thank you. I love talking to you. So thank you. All right, guys, this last story is a heartwarming one that involves Burger King and David Spade. (laughs) But trust me, it'll be something to make you smile. Back on June 20th, a video of Burger King employee Kevin Ford was posted to Reddit. In the video, which was originally posted to Ford's Instagram, Ford shares the items he received from management for being a faithful employee of the Las Vegas Burger King for 27 years. And in that time, Kevin never missed a day. His gift included a Starbucks tumbler, some pins, and a bag of Reese's, and one free movie ticket. While the internet was very unimpressed by management's recognition, Kevin told the Today Show that he was appreciative nonetheless. And they said, this is, you know, for your 27th year uh, anniversary, and I loved it. I just, you know, I, I... And then I said, uh, let's do a a little shout-out video for her and stuff. And I was just grateful to have it. I'm still grateful. I got that cup in my room. (laughs) Well, Kevin Ford's story and video took off like wildfire online. People were overwhelmed, to say the least, at the company's response to honoring such a dedicated employee like Ford. And the contributions began pouring in. After the video gained some traction, his daughter, Serena, set up a GoFundMe. And she wrote, my name is Serena. The man in that video is my father. He has worked at his job for 27 years, and yes, he has never missed a day of work. He originally began working at this job as a single father when he gained custody of me and my older sister 27 years ago. Then, 
as our family grew and he remarried, he continued to work here because of the amazing health insurance. And she ended with, in no way are we asking for money or is he expecting any money, but if anyone feels like blessing him, he would love to visit his grandchildren. Well, donations poured in from around the globe, including $5,000 from comedian and actor David Spade. See, I told you he was part of this. The GoFundMe for Kevin has reached over $190,000. When asked on the Today Show why she started this fundraiser for her dad, Serena was effusive in her love and adoration for her hardworking father, who was clearly moved by everything. My dad deserves the world. To me, in my opinion, um... My dad gave me the world. I mean, that is just so sweet. I am so happy for the Ford family. And I hope this means Kevin will be able to enjoy his grandchildren and maybe even his retirement. As the folks at Burger King would say, have it your way, Kevin. (laughs) Thank you all for listening and downloading again today. We'll be back with you tomorrow for another episode of People Every Day.